Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Hello, everybody. My name's TV Kim, and this is the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. Today's call is, wow, can't believe this, but our 11th um, installment of the Ambassador's Corner. For the benefit of the newbies out there, Ambassador's Corner is where Italian wine ambassadors like Alberto and the Mod Squad also known as others, you know, from the Italian wine ambassadors community, get a chance to nominate and interview their favorite Italian wine producers on Clubhouse. And if anyone would like to nominate and interview your personal favorite Italian wine producer, please get in touch with us. Um, This room is indeed, as you know, will be recorded and maybe replayed on the Italian wine podcast. Sometimes there are some technical issues, as you'll you'll find out. But uh, I bought my roadcaster today. I, it's I've been kind of we've been doing the marathon, so we've been going to bed really really late this week, uh, midnight the past three days. But so I'm doing this for from home today. Um, so the quality of the recording should be decent, as I love to share today's call with many listeners as possible. Also, there, you know, as you know, there are different time zones. It's it becomes a little bit problematic. So as usual, I've got a small ask. You know that what we do here at the Italian Wine Podcast and Italian Wine Club at the Clubhouse is absolutely a labor of love for me, Joy, Laika, and the entire gang, including the Italian Wine Ambassadors. So if you give a thumbs up to the Italian Wine Podcast and rate us our podcast wherever you get your pods we'd really appreciate that and if you'd like to make a small donation we would really appreciate that as well i'd like to now introduce the host ambassador alberto martinez interiano today who will be interviewing christophe quenzelli i I hope i didn't butcher that name um today so let me just give you just a small information about Alberto Martinez Interiano. Ciao Alberto. Ciao Stevie. How are you? Hi everybody. Hi. Are you you're not Italian, Hi. right? No, no. 
I'm actually uh, Latin American, Salvadoran. Okay, then. So Alberto is a wine educator and writer based in Seattle. That's Seattle, Washington. We just had our Via Agile edition there with Haley Black from from the, the Vinital International Academy. She's our Italian wine expert. And she was a local tasting center at Seattle. And we just finished last night. We wrapped it up. Do you know Haley? I do. So actually, Haley and I were classmates. Uh, we made the trek to Vancouver. Oh, Canada great. Every month. So yeah, we know, we know each other very well. It's such a small world. So Alberto currently works as an instructor at the Cellar Muse Wine School in Seattle with, of course, Tanya Morning Darling, Morning Star Darling, that's her real name, and the Wine and Spirits Archive in Portland, Oregon, where he teaches WSET and Italian and Spanish wine certification courses. He also has a blog, it's vinointeriano.com. He also blogs for Vitna Project and and many others. So his passions for Italian wine started when he lived in Tuscany as a student. When was that? How many years ago? Whereabouts in Tuscany? It's very wild. So I uh, lived in a small town called Prato, which is outside of uh, Florence. And then a little bit in Scandici, which is now basically a suburb about 30, 35 minutes west of the city. Yeah, Prato's actually not so small. That's where all the, well, all yeah, the, the, yeah. the actually all the factories of the, the fashion industries. Yeah, yeah, all the fabrics. Yeah. There's a huge well, Chinese like, community. They make Chanel and um, Celine bags. I know that for because they also distribute <laughs> Sakai in China. Anyways, that's another story for another another room, I suppose. And I guess that's where he fell in love with Italian wine, Italian food, Italian culture. And he's also a diploma um, holder. He's a WSET diploma. And the most important thing about Alberto is that he has become a certified Italian wine ambassador, the flagship class of 2021. Congratulations, Alberto, you're now one of us. Thanks, David. And not only that, he was actually the the top of the graduating class. So he's definitely one of the, the, the kind of the sharper ones from the pack, Let, let's just say that. So Alberto, as you know, we start with learning objectives from your favorite producer, but tell us why you chose Christophe Quincy, and, and correct my pronunciation, how do you say that? Kunstly. <laughs> Kunstly, okay, Kunstly. totally yeah. messed that up. Okay, and why did you, why did you choose Christophe? Yeah, so I actually met Christoph uh, briefly uh, a couple of years ago. He was visiting Seattle, in, in a, actually in a tasting. And so I'm really, I'm a super fan of Nebbiolo and all Nebbiolo-related wines. And uh, that was the first time that I actually got to try, you know, his beautiful, elegant expressions or more you know, alpine Nebbiolos from Alto Piemonte. Um, and through that, I also learned about this just fascinating story. Uh, he sort of led or he pioneered the rescue of a region that historically was super important uh, a few years ago and basically brought it back from you know a place that was kind of nearly forgotten uh, in the last uh, 20, 25 years. So both, you know, love the wines and love the, the story behind it. Fantastic. So we're looking, really looking forward to that. And now it's time for the learning objectives. 
yeah so i think that there the main objectives for today would be one just learn uh, a little bit more about nebbiolo and specifically how this style in is uh, Alto Piemonte in, in, in the Boca DOC. Uh, also how it uh, relates in terms of how it compares similarities and differences versus kind of what most people know about, which is the Nebbiolo from further south, from the Lange. Also, we get a, a closer look at uh, Vespolina, which is a traditional uh, grape variety from the area and its role in the blends, uh, in the sort of Alto Piemonte, the Boca blends. Uh, also, another objective is uh, learning about Majorina, which is a traditional training system that is unique to the region. And finally, yeah, we just learn and get the inside scoop from Christoph on this uh, rescue work to uh, bring back a lot of the historical vineyards from the area. So. Fantastic. That, that seems pretty ambitious. So I'm going to hand it over to you and I'm going to shut up now. This is my favorite part where I can just drink and listen to you guys. And I'll come back when you're ready to take some questions from the audience. Perfect. Take Sounds it great. away, Alberto. Christoph Kunzli is the owner of Le Piane Winery, which is the leading producer in the Boca DOC in the area of northern, you know, Alto Piemonte. Uh, Christoph is originally from Switzerland. And he worked initially as an importer of Italian wine. And in one of his travels, he fell in love with the region and so much so that uh, later on he decided to relocate there, purchase land, and uh, he's been making wine in the area since 1998. So, hello Christoph, and thanks for joining us and welcome to the Master's Quarter. Hello, Alberto, and all all the group. It's nice to be with you and uh, tell you something about Boca. It's great. Great. No, so we yeah. we imagine that we're in the middle or just about to start harvest. So really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, that's it's uh, not a problem because uh, we are a bit old-fashioned in in Boca. Means uh, we are not so uh, hit by the climate warming means that we make normal harvest in October and never in September. Oh. So I'm not yet in, in, the, in the harvest. Yeah, we, we are, normally we do the, the Boca after the 15th of October and this year it will be like this, the same. So it's, uh, it's a bit strange because uh, what uh, the, the climate change has a lot of impacts, but in our region it seems uh, even maybe positive, which I don't dare to tell, but it's true. Good. Great. So and for those of us who are not that familiar with the uh, with Boca, would you mind just telling us a little bit in terms of where it is uh, in relation to the overall Piemonte in Italy? Yeah, uh, we are located on the northern Piemont, which uh, is in, in the Alps. It's the Alpine uh, region of, of northern Piemont. It's north from Milan, north from Novara, north from uh, Turin in a way. And um, Boca is in this uh, optic the, the highest and the most uh, northern and also the most uh, eastern region in this northern Piemont. So the highest, uh, that means that we, our vineyards are on 450 to 550 meters in, uh, yeah, I don't know now in feet, it's, it's also a bit difficult to <laughs> translate, but in um, 550 meters, which means we are uh, somehow 100 meters higher than all other Nebbiolo uh, regions like Barolo, like Cattinara, like uh, Lesona, 
we are we, uh, really the, the highest uh, peak for Nebbiolo in Piemonte. And I uh, spent now 23 years to build up this uh, Lepiani winery. And of course, it's a big challenge, but of course, uh, no, I would say it's a big, uh, big luck, not, not this luck, of course. I, I was importing wines to Switzerland for some years and uh, focused on Italian wines. And uh, I was always not so focused only on the famous regions like uh, Brunello, Chianti or Barolo. Uh, I was always attracted also to go a little bit the side way in Italy because there was a lot to discover and um, maybe 40 years, 30 years ago, it was not really not so known. Now uh, you find in Italy a lot of un unknown regions which uh, are developing well, and it's it's incredible how a lot of um, uh, new varietals which we never knew, old varieties which but but uh, new in the in the in the market, and uh, and so I went always a bit on the sideways, and uh, one day. A producer, which is very known, by the way, my friend Paolo De Marchi from Isola Lena. Uh, one day he told me, yeah, I know this region, you know, up, up in the north because I come from there, from Lesona. And I was lastly in Boca and there was a, a wine fair, which was absolutely terrible because there was no drinkable wine anymore. There was some old people exposing wine, which were more vinegar than wine. But there was one producer, his name Antonio Cherry, uh, who makes amazing wines. You would like them, he told me, because he knew my, my, my uh, taste. And I thought, oh, this is a good idea, I go there. And I went there and uh, I fell in love in the first moment with these wines. Uh, they are really amazing, incredible wines. And I speak about uh, wines of the 50s, 60s and 70s. It was the time when Boca was dying and there was no serious winemaking anymore. And this Antonio Cherry, just a lonely uh, farmer in this Boca, he had, he made incredible wines out of big selection, out of uh, a big um, uh, love for wine. And he knew exactly that he did high level wines. Even he had no market in a way he, uh, he, he maybe is, not even to Milan, he sold his wines, but he knew that he made good wines. He, he was a very, um, yeah, high, high level. Oh yeah. That's a, that's an amazing story. Yeah. And from what I understand, uh, about a hundred years ago, the whole area was known, right? It was large and just as important as probably if more so than Barolo and, and, and so the language. The, yeah. <laughs> it was forest everywhere. There was uh, small vineyards a little bit uh, in this forest, but there was really nothing. We speak about 10 hectares when I when I arrived. 10 hectares is what we have now, Lepiane, alone as, a, as, a, as an estate. But um, uh, out from in the 50s, there were, um, I think, 1,000 hectares of land only in Boca. So totally collapsed. That's uh, what happened. And, and um, I like these wines, and so I decided to do uh, a bit of crazy thing, to, to buy land in the forest to desforest, to, to cut the, the, the trees and to put new vineyards in this, in, on this land. Uh, and now we have eight hectares new plantations and we took over also two hectares of old stuff, which was still there, but we speak after about that. That's very important. Great. Um, so can you tell us uh, in terms of kind of 
Volcas with a little, you know, from northern latitude. How is it in terms of climate? What, what are the soils like? Yeah, we have, we have a very special climate and a very good climate because uh, we, we have behind us, behind our vineyards, there is a hillside which goes to 800 meters. And it, it makes like, uh, like how to say, it covers us to the north. And then after, uh, behind this, this uh, hillside, there are the highest peaks of the Alps with the Monte Rosa Massif which goes nearly to 5,000 meters. And this blocks really the, the cold weather or sometimes also in the last years, the warm weather of the north. Uh, it protects us from, from this uh, cold or, or hot winds from the north. And that makes that it's, it's really pr uh, protected. But when we look to the south and all our vineyards are south facing, we see the Po Valley the flat land under us, it's open to the Po Valley. And we see on nice days, even the Apennine behind that, which goes to the Alessandria uh, region and uh, Lange region in this, in this area. We see this hillside of, this, uh, of the Apennine, and after this would be the seaside. So uh, we are very open to the south, and that makes that the, the sun is really, uh, the, 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 the light and the sun is, is very intense in Boca. So that's why we can go very high with Nebbiolo, and even if we go high, the, the Nebbiolo can ripe well. And that's the, the amazing thing. So uh, I think it's, it's really unusual and, uh, and a very particular situation. Great. And uh, I also uh, believe that you guys they have a special type of soils, right? It's not limestone or, or calcareous no, as in the Lange. It's, uh, it's also it's totally different from Lange. It's just the opposite because in the Lange we have chalk, which means a pH uh, um, 7.5. Uh, we have the opposite. We have uh, uh, very high acidity in our soil. Uh, they have their pH of four, which is super acid. Uh, why this? Because it's volcanic uh, stones, which degraded in 300 million years to, to gravel and sand on surface. But if you go, if you dig a little bit, you, you have rocks underneath and it's, it's only volcanic rock. It's from the, from the hotspot of the, of the volcano. That's the material which is there. It's named in, in Italy porphyr. Porphyric. It's reddish, uh, a little bit like granite, but in, in red. And that makes uh, this combination with a lot of minerals in our soil, uh, full of manganese, full of uh, iron, full of, of other things, together with this acid soil means, and that's only chemical uh, uh, chemistry, uh, in acid surrounding with water, the minerals are much more free to go to the plant and give very mineral wines. In chalk, you have a different uh, situation that minerals don't get so uh, luckily to the, to the wines, but you get more body mostly in, in chalk. You, you get these more powerful wines maybe. And that's what maybe also the difference between us and, and Barolo. Barolo are a bit more tannic, powerful, our wines are always very elegant and very fine and very mineral means this salty taste which lingers on your on your on your uh, tongue very long time yeah that's that, that's exactly right if i were to describe the wines yeah that's sort of 
salty mineral sensation, fresher style. Yeah, I yeah. love it. That's yeah. great. Um, so uh, Nebbiolo, right? Just I think there's the same great variety. However, in Alto Piemonte, it's usually that practice of blending it with other grapes, right? Yeah. Like Vespolina and Croatina. Yeah. Um, what's the, the main reason for that? Yeah, you, you have to know, and uh, we forget this a little bit this in the last 50 years, because the whole Northern Piemont collapsed to nothing, uh, because the, the big industry, the factories of textile and of uh, tap industry, which were the biggest in the world, they uh, they wanted a lot of workers, and they tell, told this this uh, this uh, farmers come to us. It's better better money, and it's easier to to do. So everybody in the northern Piemont left, but not to forget, it was the biggest wine region in Italy, if not in Europe. It was the size maybe of of Burgundy or or even Bordeaux, maybe not, but uh, it was huge. With fifteen thousand hectares, it was a huge region and a very old region because we have um, uh, testimonies, testimonies from uh, Pliny the Elder who wrote 20 after Christ that in the north when you look to the Alps from Novara the whole hillside of the Alps is covered with vineyards. So that was the situation and it's always like this if you have such an old story you have a lot of rich things developing and that's why we have not only Nebbiolo because it's very important in, in a wine region that you have different possibilities to make uh, wine which you drink after a year, wines which you can age, um, wine uh, varietal which are maybe less affected by, by rain or by, by, um, by dry weather. And so what they did, they put a lot of different varietals which, were, which came well in this region. And, and after they, they blended or not blended, they did a lot of things with these different uh, varietals. So we have this very rich uh, uh, history, which gave a rich possibility of making wine here. So uh, Nebbiolo, of course, it's the most important uh, grape in our region, but uh, not underestimate Vespolina, for example, because Vespolina is related to Nebbiolo, it's the same family. Maybe it's even older than Nebbiolo. And it's a perfect match together. It really combines with Nebbiolo at the best. M meaning it gives uh, spiciness, white pepper, to the blend. N Nebbiolo gives structure and length, and Vespolina a little bit of charm, and little charming things uh, like, like sp uh, spices and so on. And then we have a lot of other, other grape varietals, which uh, I learned in these 20 years uh, what they are because we made a lot of experiments in the cellar to, to make uh, single, single varietal wines only for us to, to, to understand the things that that's not a tradition in the region. So it's only for experimental purpose. Uh, but the, the wines we are, which are on the market, our wines are very historically in the end. But uh, to understand more what is Larina, what is Cratina, what is uh, Erbaluce, what is uh, Durasa, uh, Neb even Nebbiolo, even uh, uh, Uvarara, Vespolina, we had to do all these, these things. And it's a very interesting field of, uh, of a lot of uh, different things which, uh, which can combine well. And Christoph, specifically about uh, Nebbiolo, um, no. are there any, do you treat that differently, let's say, in the Lange, in terms of in the vineyard, 
or even at the winery or uh, no not really of course we had this margarita system but this is an, another story which we come after to that that's the the, the historical boca we did uh, the new vineyards we planted as yet at least all in the new modern system like they do in uh, in in the Langer region of course so it means uh, simple the 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 guillot sample the the guillot it's one can and then uh, in rows of course uh, and it's the same system and and, of, and in the end uh, it was very important for us of course we learned a lot here in Boca but there was a lot of lost know-how because 50 years of not producing wine quite not producing wine means that we have no people who knew how to do them and, and the vineyards how to work them. So for us it was very important to go to our colleagues uh, in, in uh, Barolo and learn how they do it, because in the end it's the same and it was the same. So um, we took also the first vineyards we planted to be sure with clones from uh, the Lange region and then from Valtellina and then from Val d'Aosta. And only since 10 years, we dedicate a lot of work to our vineyards and we take some clones and we make Selection Massal of our old vineyards, which is a, a huge work. But uh, I think Nebbiolo, we have a lot of very good things in, in Piemonte because in Barolo they did a lot of research and they did a lot of good things, which in Boca uh, they should have done, but uh, because of the situation they were not done. 100 years ago, the whole know-how of Nebbiolo was done in the northern Piemont, of course. It was Lissona, it was Scattinara, which were the most famous wines in, the, in, in Italy. So, and there a lot of new, uh, new things came out. And then uh, Barolo came up and then they took the, the position of the, the leadership in a way for Nebbiolo. But maybe in future we'll see uh, how, how it will be in the future. So. <laughs> and specifically on the winery, uh, like say, in terms of maceration times or even aging, aging vessels, do you know, is that a, a style of Alto Piemonte or is that more uh, a house I style? Would, I would say also there, the, it's, it's very difficult to define styles and I think there are different styles also. Uh, I, I use uh, the really old style means the, the, how they made the wine in Northern Piemont, Cherry, Antonio Cherry made it like this, and how also the old guys in, uh, or the old guys, also the young guys now in, uh, in Langer and Barbaresco and Barolo and in Valtellina. Uh, it's, it's, um, I do long maceration, which uh, not everybody does. In, uh, even even uh, in, in Barolo, you have a lot, they do, they do very short maceration and then they do in, in Barik. I, but that's a bit a new thing. I go the, the, the way like, uh, like Chacosa did, like, uh, like Conterno, like uh, Mascarello, all these great guys like Antonio Cerri. And, and, and I do this very long maceration, which means 40, 50 days on the skins, only in open top barrels, which I, I uh, put down the, the grapes by hand. It's very, very simple. And then after 50 days, I press with a basket press and the wine goes directly together with the press wine to big barrels, big barrels of Slavonian oak. And there the wine stays for four years, in our case, for the Bocca. Uh, and that's a bit the technique which you, you find in all Nebbiolo uh, regions. And 
in my view, it's, it's a very good technique to make uh, long lasting, fine, good wines without any uh, wood taste, which we don't need in, in Nebbiolo because Nebbiolo has enough taste alone, doesn't need anything more. <laughs> no, that's great. Really traditional way of winemaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so you uh, mentioned uh, Majorina. Right, yeah. this is a really ancient training system. I think it goes back all the way to Roman times, right? Yeah. Could you tell us, can you explain it, like what it is and, and why it's used in the area? Yeah, now uh, I should, I should uh, show you a photo because it's a bit difficult to, to explain. But in a way, it's a very old system which comes uh, probably even uh, pre-Roman time, in the Gallic time, they had this system, but the Romans, they were always very um, sensitive not to destroy what they found when they came, but they always adapted the things which they found. And sometimes they did it even better after. So these systems, uh, you you have this type of system in a lot of parts in Italy and, and in France, you find them. Not anymore, because mostly they were uprooted now and they made new vineyards, but in the old times, it was normal to have like trees. It's not like rows. It, the little, the vines are trellised like trees. It means that uh, they are put in the middle, three vines, for example, in Boca, and then trellised uh, in four directions upwards to um, two meters or one, 180 height, so uh, like, a, like a VR man's are. And and, and then it's like a, a square which forms on top and around the square are the grapes and then the leaves up. And why this? Uh, and, and then the poles which, which sustain the system, not where the vines are in the middle, but on the outside, uh, two meters outside to form this, this square. Uh, this, these poles were in Roman times uh, real trees. And that's why they never could do could plant the trees to uh, to bind the vine on on the same place where the vine is because that would be a, a, the roots and it say it sounds strange but it's true they could afford to kill uh, the trees and make poles from it and when i heard in boca old people telling me that they don't tell it's poles but they tell there are dead trees to this to this support when I heard this, I thought it's amazing how the language is 2000 years. It stays even there are now poles, not, 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 uh, not trees anymore. But in the remember of the, of the people, there are still dead trees. <laughs> so and this Marjorie system is, uh, is amazing because it gives us the tradition of 100 years old vineyards. It, we have learned a lot of, the, of what was Boca before because we lost everything, but having these hundred years old vineyards, we understand a lot of things. Varietals, which were not known, the way to, to, to trellis the, the, the vines up, which is very, uh, it's a very good system because it works perfectly by hand, only by hand. And that's a bit a limit now of this system, but we don't see this limit because we do anyway, a lot of handwork in our vineyards, also in the new ones. So now we are really rethinking the things and we, we say maybe we can put even new Majorinas because the, the work is, is, is the same or even a bit less because they are perfectly done to work by hand. Of course, in the 50s, when the industry gets this nice offer to the workers, 
uh, young people, they saw the tractors arriving, the, 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 the new machinery arriving, and they told the fathers, you know, now I go, really, because now we, we would have help in the vineyard with this tractor, and we can't use them in, in this Majorina system. So uh, what the hell, what we do here? And they, they left. So everything is a bit connected. Now uh, we can, I always tell the people who come here, we can afford again to work by hand. And this is maybe the biggest uh, achievement which we did in the last year, in the last, in the last uh, 10 years or 20 years. We can afford it to do it. And it sounds strange because who does nowadays handwork? We have all the machinery and the robots and everything. And we tell that our, our achievement is to work by hand. And this is a, a nice thing somehow. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, being able to sort of earn the right and to be able to go back and, and work by hand. Yeah. And it seems like it's a lot of work, but uh, so price to, to, I mean, I'm looking at pictures, it seems like a lot more work than the traditional training, but yeah, it's good to know that it's about the same, right? It's not a whole Yeah, it's it's different. In winter, it's much more difficult. The pruning is more, more difficult because it's very, it's not so uh, logical like the new systems. But in summer, uh, they are in so good uh, harmony that you have to pass much less through the vineyards to, to put the leaves away or to cut uh, on top or so. So it's much less work in summer, more in winter and vice versa. And so in a way it, it combines well the two systems, the new and the old. Great. So um, I think that we'd like to transition off and just uh, if you could briefly talk about, tell us about uh, your wines. Uh, and you make both reds and whites. Yeah, so maybe mm -hmm. we start with your flagship, <laughs> Boca DOC, and then just a brief description about you know, the blend, the grapes, uh, mm -hmm. any vinification techniques I use. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, the, of course, I came to, to Boca to make the Boca DOC. That was the wine I knew from this Antonio Cherry. And it's a blend of Nebbiolo and Vespolina. It has to be a blend. It can't be 100% Nebbiolo. In our case, it's 85% Nebbiolo, so mostly, of course, is Nebbiolo, and the rest is Vespolina. Uh, to combine well these two grapes, which I told to buy, and it, it's a perfect match. So I came here to do that, and and I had this vineyard of, of this old Antonio Cherry, and it was made like this, and then we made new vineyards like this, and, and I did wine from that. But in the first year, when I was here, I saw these strange old vineyards around and, and I didn't understand what grapes are there. I, and I didn't uh, recognize them. And, and then old people told me, ah, oh, this is Croatina and this is Arbaluce. Ah, oh, there's a white one, ah, Arbaluce. And there is also the Slarina and this is that and this is that. And a big, a big mess in the end, I, I thought, here, uh, you, you can't get uh, around with all these things. So what I did uh, is what is a bit the, the easiest thing. I went in these old vineyards and I make harvest of everything together, just a field plant, without looking what I put in, because it was really difficult to tell. It was one plant of Herbaluce and, and 10 of uh, Nebbiolo and five of Croatina. And what, what the hell comes out? I made the wine and this wine, and that's in a way the second wine we, we produced. It's the Majorina wine, comes from these old Majorina uh, vineyards and it's a field plant. And it makes great sense. The first wine, when I made it, it was, in, after one month, it was very nice, drinkable, simple, nice wine to, to drink immediately. And I thought, this is really amazing. That's, that's really a great wine. 
And um, and I showed it also to, to, to the old people in Boca, and, and they told, oh, this is the wine we always did. That's how how our wine is. And and so, in a way, for me, Boca is, of course, the top wine, and the flagship wine, aged wine, four years in the barrel. It's a, it's a great expression of Nebbiolo. And it was the case, some producers did it, but only the good producers, because it was very difficult to make this, because you need barrels, you need time, you need money, uh, you have to be good in the vineyard to, to, to best grapes. That other people, they did just wines for the daily, daily business, and that was okay too. And this is the Majorina. So in a way, Majorina is for me, even the, the most typical characteristic wine of Bocquet somehow strange enough to tell. Historically, of course, it's it's the most uh, normal wine here. And then after some years, I developed uh, the third wine, which is the, now an important wine between, in a way. And it's a bit the, the bridge from the Majorina to the Bocca. It's the, the, the wine which uh, is more Nebbiolo. It's based Nebbiolo, based wine. It has the face of an aged Nebbiolo because it it makes two years in, in barrels, so shorter than Boca, but it has the same view in a way. But what is different? There is Vespolina also, so all, all the same, but then there is Croatina in. And Croatina is, is a great varietal which is not in Boca, it can't be in Boca, it's forbidden to put in the Boca, but it's very traditional in the old Northern Piemont. The displays were, were very normal, and this is the what I made. This Mimo is the very normal blend, which is, was used uh, everywhere, also in Gattinara, also in in, in Gemme, in Sizzano, in Bramaterra. The only region which kept this 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 uh, DOC is Bramaterra. There, Croatina is still in the blend, but it's the only region. And for me to make more easy, not easy drinking, more approachable wines. Uh, it's the best system because Cratina gives a little bit of fresh fruit in, of darker blueberries and, 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 and the cherries. It's a bit softer, less acidity. And so you can drink the Nebbiolo after uh, five years easily. And it's a great wine then. You don't have to put it 10 years in the cellar like the Boca, uh, but it, it's a very nice wine. Uh, we always define it, it's the wine of the good restaurants. You go to the restaurant and you, drink, you eat well and you drink this Mimo in a way. And then the Boca is for the great moments, uh, Christmas, uh, wedding or all uh, this. Christophe, yeah. we, we, we lost you for a few okay. uh, seconds. Uh, Can okay. you just repeat the last about okay, About great, the Bianco, thanks. about Bianco, is okay? Yeah, yeah. I think we lost you there. Yeah, I repeat about the Bianco, it's, it's Erba Luce, it's the only white uh, varietal which we have in our region, in the whole northern Piemont. Uh, it's a DOCG in Caluso, but we have the same grape in our fields also. And uh, it's, a, it's I, I always thought that this, this uh, Erba Luce is not so important, maybe it's not so good, and I don't know. And it, it took a long time that I dared to make this this, this Bianco. Now, since four years, I do it. And I can tell you that uh, uh, I do it in a very different way than everybody does here. That's I have to tell because I thought a long time how I, sh I would like to make Herbaluce. And now the result is amazing. It's better and better every year. With my experience, it's getting better and better. And I'm 
totally amazed what wine comes out because I was always thinking it comes a good white wine of drinking easily and uh, for an aperitif. But now I see that it's a very structured and, and very full bodied wine with big lengths, with a nice acidity, uh, with a very complex aromatic. So I'm very amazed about this. Then I remember all these uh, old people here in Boca, they told always that Erba Luce is the white Nebbiolo. So when I heard this, it makes sense. It's really true. It's a very structured wine like Nebbiolo. From Erba Luce, you, make, you can make a bit the same, same style. And, and, uh, but you have to do it in this style. And uh, what is the key point for me? Ripe grapes. Uh, a lot of people now, producers, are afraid of the climate warming and of, of too much alcohol and of, of no, no acidity. But uh, Erba Luce has, has no problem about, yes, the alcohol can be 14, 14 alcohol, but you don't feel it because the acidity is very high. And I do even malolactic uh, fermentation with this wine. And I do wood, uh, big, big barrels uh, to put it in one year on the lease. So it's all the technology to give body and to give uh, structure and to give importance to this wine. And it works perfectly. So I'm, I'm really amazed about this Bianco. So I think that, I've, yeah, I've had a chance to try most of your reds. Uh, I'm not sure the the, the Bianco uh, is that exported or is it most? Yeah, that's most that's that's why it's a bit. Uh, the problem is that we we sell it so well in Italy that we couldn't export it yet. <laughs> but that's uh, but now it will change. Now it's 220. We have a little bit more of quantity, and it will be in Seattle and in California. It's uh, by the way, uh, it's shipped there, so it should arrive in in uh, one or two months uh, in California oh. and in Seattle and in. Uh, in Boston and uh, yeah, so yeah, it will be not not big amounts, but uh, now we start. Yeah, great. We we'll have to look for it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and just a, a side story. We were talking about Mimo, your yeah, yeah. the Croatina, Vespolina blend. So um, about a couple of years ago, you know, my uh, niece Sofia had her first communion, and actually, this is the one that was sort of the the star. Of mm -hmm. the of the lunch, yeah, ah, okay. super friendly, and it was a crowd of pleasers. So yeah, every mm -hmm. table had a mimo, a oh, mimo bottle. Great. In it. So yeah, it was it was memorable, quite good. Yeah. Um, so I'm moving on a little bit on so the the wines super uh, high quality. Uh, you started to sort of plant your own vineyards, you grew that uh, the area, uh, and start at the point where you you saw it. How, how was that experience in terms of? Uh, you make great wine from an area that few people knew about it. Was it how, how were the first years like? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, was very hard. But in the first five years, I didn't realize that it was hard because I had no wine. So it was easy because we, you don't have to sell. So that, and that's the, the biggest part or it's the sales is the, the most difficult. And, and so I didn't uh, really, I, I made new vineyards and I produced, start to produce wine and um, I was not afraid, but then in 2005, I realized that I had a big vintage of 204 in my cellar, a potential of 10,000 bottles of Boca, uh, and I get in, in big troubles, in big crises, because I thought, ha, five years I'm here, there was nobody from nowhere came to, to look at this, this wine region, because nobody knew, and th there's no wine, so why they should come, you know? 
So uh, I, 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 told, I told myself, but what you did, maybe you did a total crazy thing, a wine which nobody interests in the world, and maybe we, we can close in, in, in one year. And of course, it was not like this, because uh, the first importer was from Boston, I can tell you. And, this, and she changed my mind, <laughs> because I get, ah, uh, oh, there is somebody from Boston who is interested in this wine, so maybe it works. And so it started to, to work, but still it was big, big work to, and it's still big work, to communicate Boca as a, as a high Nebbiolo uh, producing area uh, in the world, because people don't know. Maybe now uh, the professional people, they know mostly now, I would say. In the US, where we are very well in the market, in Europe, but also in Japan, there the sommeliers, they know and they make a big work in the restaurants to promote it, to give it to the people. But I can tell you, and also in Italy the same, but if we are in a wine list, in a, in a wine list like you have a, a big book, and then you have Barolo, 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 Barbaresco, 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 and then is one Bocca, our Bocca, who, who cares about this? Nobody. Nobody will take it from a wine list. If a Bocca never heard, maybe it's Bocca Reiten or something else, but never heard so what the hell i don't take it so we need we needed in the first year very much this uh, this passionate people around the world who promote our wines and you like you do now in in this in this uh, club that's the most important in the first years then we had of course the, the wine guides and the journalists who wrote and and everything helped to to get this uh, this idea that Boca is a wine region and not not something else <laughs> so uh, but it was a hard work and it's it's a still demanding work but now i see some fruits of what i did that's for sure oh that's great that's great to know and definitely yeah this that's one of the main goals of the club is to promote uh no, no, all italian wine both from areas that are well known as well as sort of up and coming or in areas that need a little more of a of a push to to highlight them and, and get them known in the market so great great to hear that so uh, in terms of the the doc evoca i understand that before there were just very few producers now they're still a handful right a little over yeah yeah that's uh, yeah it's a very nice nice uh, evolution uh, i always thought in the, in the beginning I, I was the only one and the monopolistic situation which which sounds good but it's it's not really good, I can tell you. To be alone in a, in a wine region, it's, it's never a good thing. To be the leader is good, and, and we always look to be the leader in the, in the region, but not to be alone. <laughs> that's, that's very important. So when I started, I, I can tell you there was no serious wine producing anymore. There were two wineries which were in very bad shape because of the age of the, of the people. They were old people, one had Alzheimer and the daughters didn't want to enter, and it was a nightmare, really. But then I started, and then I activated a lot of, of young people in Boca, and they did other vineyards, like the same like I did. One, two hectares, three hectares, one, even seven hectares. And, uh, uh, the, for, for example, this, this winery, which, which I told before, with the, with the, the, Alzheimer, with the man of, with Alzheimer, uh, it's, it's Conti, Elena Conti, then, in 201, she got back and took over this, this winery for, from the father. And, and she always told me, I would never have done it if you were not here, because I, I would never have a future in, a seen future in, in Boca. So that was happened and it was very good. So now you have a handful of Boca in the market, even uh, also in the US, I would say there are five labels in the market. And there are 12 producers actually, 
mostly very small uh, and, uh, and we are far the biggest and that's why maybe you see our wines a bit more but uh, still we are a good group which moving this poker ahead together good great so and quick check on time i know that we want to open it up to the floor for any questions from the audience. Uh, last question that I had is in terms of uh, Lepiani, uh, what's next in the next few years? What are, <laughs> what are you guys, major plans that you can share? Yeah, this is, a, I had, I did the, the major plans I did in the last year, in the COVID year. It sounds strange, but we did amazing new things to finish, to finalize our winery because we always used the old cellar of Antonio Cherry and it was since at least five years it was far too small and we had to start to vinify outside under not even in under a roof and to have the wines outside and it was a, a real nightmare uh, and last year finally we, we get the, the permission and everything to put the new underground cellar and that will be finished in two months or even in one month, month we, we just vinify this year in but it's not everything is finished but but it's a, a new underground cellar, which is just nearby the old, very nice cellar of, uh, of Cherry. And there we have a potential to double uh, the, 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 the wood barrels there. And, and that will be done in the next years because I, I need much more wood barrels in the future because um, I, Nemo is in, in wood barrels and even Majorine I would put like, I would like to put in the wood barrels. So this is a bit the future to, to go even, even deeper in, in these things. Um, then the, the most important is the vineyards get older and that's the nicest thing I can tell you because I always remember some French producer who told after 30 years, you can think to make good wines. And now we have 23 years, so at least seven years to reach this, but we are nearer, we are much nearer that, to this uh, goal than, than, than it was 20 years ago. And I can tell you, I feel it a lot in our wines. Our wines are much more in harmony also when they are young. And I think it's, it's not my, my cellar making, which, which I, I don't do anything in the cellar. It's really the, the vineyards, which are much more in harmony and they give great grapes uh, and, and great wine, bigger and uh, better and better wines. So in a way, this is the, the main, main thing in the future. Maybe there is some new wine. I don't know yet, but uh, maybe it's not. <laughs> it's fantastic. I think we're all looking forward to it. Yeah, the future looks definitely bright. Fantastic. <laughs> so, um, great. So, uh, I think I'd like to just thank you again for the time. It's been a pleasure chatting thank you, with you. Alberto. Thank really you. And really look forward to you know, meeting in person again, whether yeah. you know, here yeah. in the, in the yeah, West Coast after, or no, maybe in mean, I, I can come uh, to the, the first trip will be to Seattle, I'm sure. <laughs> Fantastic. So, look forward to yeah. Yeah. Great. Thank so, uh, now I think I'll hand it back to Stevie for any sort of follow up questions. Oh my God. Um, thank you so much. I mean, I have to confess, mea culpa, I have not heard of Boca very much. And it was such a fascinating um, talk. I, I had Laika writing to me, chatting me up um, during your talk and saying, you know, you sound like such a great science professor. 
and um, Christoph, but I think you you're you have a natural knack for also storytelling, <laughs> and we are ready I to come. All of us come and see you very soon. <laughs> so I will open up to. I we're. I mean, we don't have very much time, but if there's somebody from the audience who would like to um, ask a question, please raise your hand now, and I will bring you up onto the stage. Christoph, listen, I do have a question for you. I know you're making four uh, four labels now. What what is kind of the production? Production volume. Yeah, we we make uh, maybe we reach now with two twenty first time eighty thousand bottles, and that's a bit the goal. Uh, I think never more than hundred thousand will be also in future. So eighty thousand bottles, and uh, the Boca is fifteen thousand bottles of our top wine, maybe thirty thousand of Majorina and then uh, Mimo, other 20,000. And then I forgot to tell, there is another wine which we didn't spoke. It's uh, Tiane, which is a single uh, old vineyards of Majorina Croatina selection. This is a very interesting wine, but the rarest wine. We make only 6,000 bottles. But this is a real, uh, a real challenge. Uh, it was a real challenge to do it, but it's a very interesting wine. And it's dedicated to a Croatina, which is a very, very... Uh, um, a lot planted in Boca on the old fields of the Majorina. So, oh my goodness, I'm my mouth is watering as <laughs> you are speaking. Um, we, so we have Patty, uh, Patty Robinson. Ciao, Patty. Ciao, ciao. How are you? Okay, how are Hello. you? I'm good. So, Christoph, I visited you five years ago with Vinity. Ah, um, okay, yeah. So I, I, I may be responsible for you being in Chicago. Not really for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I love I your wine. Love it, love it. Yeah. We're spreading <laughs> the gospel. That's uh, right, that's right. Yeah. I remember you very yes. well. <laughs> yes, because we went to Ristorante uh, Pinocchio. Yeah. And it was absolutely amazing. But yeah. I, I want to know what your opinion is on Herbaluce and like what the future of Herbaluce is. Because the last time I checked, you may have uh, Pasito. Somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's right. I no, I I have to confess the pasito I did from the first years on because pasito was always what everybody told. That's what you have to do from Erbaluce, and somehow it's true. You can do really great pasito wines, uh, and I did it. But, but I did it. I, I can tell you, forty liters, fifty liters, nothing. But just I did it to look, and and when I uh, I remember in two eight. I had a 10 years anniversary of the, of Alepiane and I made a, a big res, uh, reception in the cellar. And there I, I showed also this Pasito. And there uh, an Italian came to me and told me, oh, Christoph, this is the best wine you do in your cellar. Why you produce red wines? So <laughs> that's why I never spoke again about this Pasito because I make red wines and not Pasito. And that would be the end of, of Le Piane if, if they, you force me to do only Pasito because the red wines are not good. So that was very funny. Anyway, we always do a little bit of Pasito and I sometimes I do it when I, when I like to do it. But it's, it's really nothing. It's 100 bot little bottles or 200 bottles. That's it. <laughs> I, I was lucky enough to get a couple of those bottles at age 16, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. very beautiful. But yeah. Herbalution is a very, I, it, it's, I feel like it's not as recognized as it should be. And I think yeah, that, that's you true. Know, that's you, true. you've done an excellent job. I just wanted to thank you. Yeah, it's a bit, you know, the, we have a, a 
strange problem with Verba Luce in, it, in, uh, in, it, in Italy, the bureaucracy and the laws are very strange sometimes. So we have a very absurd situation that we can't write on our bottles Verba Luce and not even in the, in the net. And maybe I could not even tell you uh, if a control comes, they will tell, they will find me for that. Because Caluso, the OCG, they told Herbaluce is ours. Nobody else can nominate this, uh, this, this grape varietal, which, by the way, in European community, in the law, it's not possible. But they were just a bit before and, it, and Italy told it's okay. And now it's like this and we can't change it. If we process, if we make, uh, we, we, we make a process about them, uh, a law uh, how to, in the court, uh, we would win. But you know, uh, to win in a court in Italy, that's a very, very long affair. So we have this strange situation that Caluso Erba Luce, and uh, they have not a lot of bottles. They are not spread in the world. They are not known. And we make some producers in North Piemont, they make Herbaloche, but we, can't, we don't nominate it like Herbaloche. So we can't do anything for this grape to make it more, more uh, known because nobody knows it. I always have to, to tell, ah, this is Herbaloche. Ah, Herbaloche never heard, you know, that's the reaction in the whole world. And these people in, in, uh, in Caluso, they don't, they are like in middle age. They think really that it's better to have this name for them and they would win to having other people who would work the same rape, of course, and nominate it. But that's Italy, and that's like that it is. <laughs> so what can we do? So, uh, Christoph, we don't want to let you go, but we're going to uh, close up the room. But one, just one quick, quick last, last, last question, if you allow us. Um, what is the harvest looking like this year in Alto Piemonte? Uh, yeah, we are we are very lucky, and I, I quite I can't dare to to tell it because you you must know that in Europe it's a total disaster this year. I was in France, I was in Germany last yes, in, in yes. summer. It's it's absolutely terrible. A lot of illness in. They had hailstorms. They had water. They had. It's really terrible. And in the south, there was absolutely no rain from from market to Tuscany south terrible stressed vineyards and in northern in the northern part especially in the alps we had an incredibly nice year a nice spring uh, a cooler in july with some rain which was very good and a marvelous august and now september so we are looking forward uh, as now a great vintage like last year so uh, it, it's really promising the things that's hopefully, hopefully it will be like this because you never know because the weather is is tricky now. But uh, we were really uh, safe this year about uh, about everything. So, <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you so much. And I'm going to close up the room. Do one thing here. That's <laughs> my you. little trick I do. <laughs> thank you. Um, and I, it was so lovely to meet you um, like this, and hopefully we can meet you in person um, very, very yeah. soon. Thanks, Pate, for great. coming. Yeah. A Thank you. A shout out to Laika, our um, clubhouse manager, Jacopo, of course, Paul, Melissa, I see um, also Kevin, Sue Tolson, and Dre. Thank you all for joining us, and we're looking forward to putting this out um, as soon as possible. Alberto, great choice. Thank you so much for Thank organizing you. this, and 
See you next week. I believe next week we're up with Susanna Gold, but that will be, I believe, on Friday. Just a little change of schedule. And then the week after that, we're back with your buddy, Tanya, who will be interviewing Cinelli Colombini Donatella. So see you next time. Ciao, ragazzi. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin. guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.